Uh, well, much of Sydney is a shining example of multiculturalism. Uh, unless you go to the Shire or maybe Castle... Oh, Castle Hill's changing, I think, but the Shire, let's say. Oh, Northern Beaches. Northern Beaches, the Shire, they're pretty much white. But most of the rest of Sydney, it's, it's multicultural, isn't it? Uh, there's this fusion of foods and cultures and languages. Interesting faces and clothes. We love it. We love the diversity. Uh, and I think we love the strengths that multiculturalism brings to Australia's self-identity uh, in terms of our openness, our acceptance, our equality, our desire to give everyone a fair go. I think it says wonderful things about Australia. But I want to suggest that you don't have to look too closely to realise that the diversity and the multiculturalism doesn't run that deep. Across Sydney, we see multiculturalism, but often it's focused in pockets of monoculturalism. The Greeks are in Elwood. The Koreans are in Strathfield. The Chinese are in Ashfield. The Italians are in Leichhardt. The Vietnamese are in Cabramatta. And these cultures are not really spreading beyond themselves. People are sticking to those who are like them. There have been changes in our society in the last few years. I think perhaps since 9-11, attitudes to religion have changed. People realise that religion is not a personal thing. That religion forces its way into public life and into other people's lives in a way that's not comfortable. And I think that's affected the way we look at other cultures. The difficult economy of recent years has meant that there's a suspicion that people coming from other countries are taking jobs from locals, although perhaps that's not such a recent thing either. And then there's COVID in the last year, where people from different suburbs or states of Australia are treated with fear and we want to separate from them, let alone people who've travelled from overseas. Uh, so I think the reality is, as much as multiculturalism, multiculturalism is a, a veneer across uh, Sydney, the reality is most of us individually are, are slow to cross boundaries. We're happy to try a new restaurant, a new style of restaurant, but that's safe. Uh, we're often slow to cross the cultural boundary in, in any meaningful way. We see the faces but we're slow to get to know the people. We're reluctant to talk to someone we'll struggle to understand. It's hard work. It's much easier to stick to people who are like me. Human nature seems to be maintain the us versus them. That just seems to be a natural position. Us and then there's them. Now that's a problem that at least goes all the way back to Acts chapter 10 and 11 and a lot further back. But in Acts chapter 11, crossing cultural boundaries doesn't come naturally to Peter or the early church. But the message that gets rammed home to Peter and to us in these chapters is that it doesn't matter where you come from, you're welcome to come to Jesus. It doesn't matter where you come from, you're welcome to come to Jesus. And the key verse, I think, in this passage is there in chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Peter's talking to a group of people that his Jewish rules say he's not even meant to be with. And he says to them, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts 
people from every nation who fear him and do what's right. That's it. I could stop right now and you'd you'd go away and you'd pretty much know all that I'm going to say, but I'm going to keep going for a little bit longer. Now, this is big news. It was big news for Peter. Uh, Maybe not so much for us if we're, we're used to it, but it was certainly big news for these first Jewish Christians that God is not going to play favourites anymore with the Jews simply because they're Jewish. The risen Jesus is king of all the world. God wants people of every kind in his kingdom. And that's what he shows Peter. He shows him in a way that breaks down his prejudices and his presuppositions and his social conditioning. And he makes it very clear to him that the Jewish distinctions are over. They're done with forever. Now it's quite hard to put ourselves in Peter's shoes but I want you to try for a moment. I want you to imagine you're Peter, a a good Jewish boy brought up in Israel keeping the Jewish laws. You've known that there are rules about what's clean and what's unclean, rules about what you can touch and can't touch, rules about what you can eat and can't eat. They're very specific and you can find them in Leviticus. Certain animals that are unclean, including pigs. Uh, So there's no pork sausages for Peter. There's no bacon. It's a bit tough, isn't it? But Peter wouldn't even think of eating those things. But it's not just food, it's people as well. There are certain people that the Jews couldn't mix with. They could say hello on the street, they could buy things from them in the market, but then they'd have to come home and wash their hands. They were the Gentiles. What's a Gentile? It's a very simple definition. It's anyone who's not Jewish. It's not a complicated definition at all. Anyone who's not Jewish is Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you can't come into a a Jewish house. They can't come into your house. If someone's not Jewish, uh, Jews can't touch them. You can't eat with them. And so for Jewish kids like Peter growing up, that's how it was strict categories about what was acceptable and what wasn't. And so here's the Apostle Peter, chapter 9, verse 32. He's moving around the countryside to the west and the north of Jerusalem and he's doing amazing miracles, just like Jesus used to do, raising the dead and uh, cripples are walking. It's the power of the risen Jesus working through him and people are believing in Jesus everywhere he goes And yet he's still very careful about what he eats and about where he stays. He's confining his mission to Jewish people, which means he has to learn a lesson. The lesson that it doesn't matter where you come from, you're welcome to come to Jesus. So Peter's staying in the town of Joppa with a guy called Simon the Tanner. It's about lunchtime. Uh, The smell of baked lamb is wafting up to the roof where he's sitting in the sun. And as his mind starts to drift, and as his stomach starts to grumble, suddenly he's in the middle of a vision. And verse 11, he sees heaven opening up, and down out of heaven comes this big bulging tarpaulin, this sheet that's being held by its four corners, and in there, there's this writhing, squirming mass of animals. There are four-footed animals and wriggling lizards and flapping birds. And then in verse 13, Peter hears a surprising command. The voice says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
Now, whether you're Jewish or not, it's not the nicest thing to imagine, is it? I don't imagine eating lizard for lunch, but for Peter it was even worse. He's never even had a ham sandwich. And there in that sheet is the pig, as well as all the other unclean reptiles and birds, the vultures and the... And to Peter, all of that is just downright unclean. And so in verse 14, he says, Surely not, Lord, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice speaks again. It's a key verse, verse 15. Because if you're thinking, you'll see that it's more than just lunch, this voice is talking about. The voice said a second time, Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Now that's a very loaded sentence. It's a statement that's full of meaning because it's not just about food. In the next couple of days, Peter's going to figure, it, figure out uh, what it all means. He gets the same vision three times in a row. Perhaps he's a slow learner, but I think it's more that it's just this is a really important decision. Uh, he has to, God has to make sure he understands it. It's a major change in the way, it's a fork in the road, a major change in the way things are done. And then just as the sheet is taken back up to heaven, there's a knock on the door. Three visions, and then a knock on the door, and there are three guys down there. And they've come all the way down from the town of Caesarea, up the coast, they've got a very important message. Because while Peter's had a vision, there's someone else who's had a vision as well. God is clearly matchmaking, not for the first time. He's matchmaking, working in the background to bring these two people together. So while Peter's just been told not to go calling things unclean that God's making clean, there's a message from a Roman soldier, a Gentile called Cornelius, and it's delivered by three men who are almost certainly Gentile as well. The sort of unclean people a Jew wouldn't normally have dealings with. And God has spoken to Cornelius in a vision and told him to send for Peter. And so here are the three men at the door, and they say to Peter in verse 22, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a good bloke. He's a God-fearer. And a holy angel told him to have you come to his house to hear what you have to say. Now, the danger for us as we read this stuff is to miss the point, to focus on what is not really that important. We focus, I think, on the angels, probably. Wow, angels. Visions. But you know the really amazing thing? God is going to all this trouble so a Gentile can hear about Jesus. That's the amazing thing. A Gentile is going to hear about Jesus. And he's going to so much trouble to get this good Jew, Peter, to visit his home. Seems like Peter is already starting to process this lesson because verse 23, he invites the men into his house. Now we read that and probably don't even notice it until we realise that these are Gentiles being invited into a Jewish home. Verse 24, they stay overnight. Next day they head off to Caesarea. There's Peter, there's the three men and there's a group of his Jewish mates who go along for the journey. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for that trip. What did they talk about? Uh, He arrives at Caesarea, he finds that Cornelius has organised a party, he's called together his relatives and friends and there's quite a crowd waiting for Peter. Just imagine the scene as the two groups size each other up. Peter and his Jewish mates, 
Cornelius and his Gentile mates, clean and unclean. These are two tribes, strangers, yet somehow brothers or at least soon to be brothers. And as Peter waits at the doorstep, he knows that as soon as he puts his foot into the house, he's past the point of no return, he's broken the Jewish rules. And so he says to them in verse 28, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. (laughs) Now that's not exactly the opening line, I would choose to win some new friends. But can you see he's learned his lesson? Look at what he says next. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call any man, any person, impure or unclean. So here I am. You see, it's not just food. More importantly than food, it's people as well. That If God has declared them clean, Peter should be declaring them, recognising them as clean as well. And so in he goes into this Gentile home. He's broken the boundaries of the Jewish law. In verse 34, he starts talking. He says those words that we started with. I realise God doesn't show favouritism. He's taught it to me. I realise that the gospel is for everyone, not just Jews. God will accept people from every nation who fear him and do what's right, who repent and turn to Jesus, which is what Peter calls them to do. Verse 36, this is the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And he tells the story. You know what happened. How this Jesus, after his baptism, went round healing, overcame the power of the devil because God was with him and eventually they killed him. We were witnesses of it all. But here's the best bit, verse 40. God raised him back to life and appointed him, verse 42, as the one to judge the living and the dead. In verse 43, here's the punchline. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now that's everyone with a capital E. There are no special exclusions. There are no hidden conditions. It doesn't matter where you're from or what your language is. You've come to the right place. You're welcome. You can receive the thing that matters most of all, the forgiveness of your sins. You're accepted by God. The Old Testament Jewish rules about what was clean or unclean, they're gone. But they were a a pointer. They were a scale model. They were a picture of what purity and uncleanness were about. And according to those old laws, when you'd sinned, an animal was sacrificed to take God's curse. But Peter's message is that now Jesus has died as that final sacrifice and taken God's curse so that you can stand forgiven, whatever your nationality. And for those Gentiles who are listening, this is the best news they've ever heard. They want that forgiveness. And an amazing thing happens. It's exactly what happened to the Jews back in chapter 2. God promised that when someone believes they will receive his spirit, his Holy Spirit. Now Peter thought that was just for the Jews, but he's wrong. And to show that what's happening uh, is unmistakably from God, the Holy Spirit comes on Cornelius and all the other Gentiles who are there in a way that no one can deny. And Peter's Jewish friends who are watching are astonished that God has given the Holy Spirit to Gentiles. 
And they know because the Gentiles are speaking in tongues and praising God. Just what the Jews were doing back in chapter 2. And so Peter says, come on, let's baptise them. Baptism with water is a symbol of God's baptism with his Holy Spirit. And if they've received the Holy Spirit, then it's a no-brainer that we baptise them with water. Uh, two tribes have become, become one tribe. Now, this is a major turning point in the history of Christianity. Let, let's not forget that. If Peter hadn't had his vision, if Peter hadn't broken the rules and preached to the Gentiles, then you and I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be included. This is a big event. But the trouble is, when Peter makes it back to Jerusalem, into, as we move into chapter 11, he's in trouble. Uh, look at the reaction. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, now they're the Jewish Christians, they criticised him. And they focused on the minors instead of the majors, didn't they? You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, talk about focusing on the minor details and ignoring the, the major ones. Now, that's what your average Jewish Christian is thinking at that time. And so Peter steps them through all the things that have happened. The vision with the unclean animals, the voice from heaven, Cornelius and his vision. And finally, verse 16 how the Holy Spirit came on them, just like he had on the Jews. No difference. And so he says, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think I could oppose God? <laughs> it's the same logic he used with Cornelius. If God's accepted them, then we should accept them too. In other words, it doesn't matter where you come from, you're welcome to come to Jesus. And who are we to say different? You know, it's interesting as we think about the, the 2,000 odd years that have happened, that have passed since then, in some ways Christianity's done pretty well with that message. Christianity has spread across so many boundaries and it's almost everywhere. Christianity has made brothers and sisters out of people whose countries are at war. It's made brothers and sisters out of people who live on opposite sides of the world. Brothers and sisters out of people who are completely different from one another in every way except that they both follow Jesus. So in some ways we've done well, I think, but I wonder though how sometimes... Uh, we don't put that into practice in smaller ways, in one-to-one, -one, interpersonal ways. God has put the welcome mat out to every sort of person and maybe sometimes you don't. I don't. And maybe worse than that, we don't even notice when we don't. For me, as I was thinking about this, I... I I thought about when I sit outside a church, open church on a Wednesday and I see different sorts of people walking past. Perhaps it's an Indian man wearing a turban or, or a Muslim woman wearing a, head, a headdress. And I'm tempted not to speak to them. I'm tempted to think, well, they've already made their choice. 
I'm tempted to think that God's not for them. Or when the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons come knocking at my door. I'm tempted to to just send them on their way and not even engage with them. uh, Because I'm tempted to think that God is not for them. I need to see that the resurrection of Jesus opens the way for everyone. No one is unclean. No one is off limits. No one is too hard. We saw that last week with with Paul, with uh, Saul. We need to be a people. Uh, We need to be a church who say, any friend of Jesus is a friend of mine. No matter who they are or where they're from. Uh, What will that look like? How will it affect the people that we welcome unconditionally? What will that welcome look like? How will it affect the people we reach out to with offers to help? Uh, With how generous and and how uh, long-suffering our help is? Any friend of Jesus is a friend of mine. Uh, The simple message is, it doesn't matter where you're from. You're welcome to come to Jesus. And that needs to be what we're saying as well as a church. It doesn't matter where you're from, you're welcome because Jesus welcomes you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be doing a work in our minds. Help us to understand your character and your plans for your world. We pray that you do a work in our hearts as well, that you give us a love and an acceptance and a generosity uh, to welcome all the people uh, in our suburb, in our world, that you are intent on welcoming as well. And we pray that you would build your church. Amen.